1: You know who's got a mean risotto recipe? John Podesta. Uh, I can only imagine. How yeah, we know this was, it was hacked. Thanks to WikiLeaks, you too can make John Podesta's uh, risotto.
0: He's right, though. The key is just to add the liquid very slowly. Yeah, he got
1: it. Was it so? Somebody he was emailing with said, "I tried to make your risotto and it didn't work," and he was correcting them. Is this the mm-hmm, yeah? mm-hmm. And you do have to add the liquid. I can I can attest very mm-hmm. slowly.
0: That should be a state secret now. Yeah the Russians now the Russians know how to to break down the
1: starch and the rice bit by bit to make that creamy I have a
2: message for John Podesta on risotto yeah there's a two-factor authentication (laughs) that you need (laughs) it's not enough to do the liquid you also have to you know get from your phone the right code and use that because or else the Russians are in your risotto and they give it to Donald Trump
1: oh yeah he's gonna eat a lot of it Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the John Podesta Makes a Mean Risotto Edition. I'm Shane Harris of the Daily Beast. I make a pretty damn good risotto, too. Do you? I going to say for the record, yeah. And it takes time. You have to really perfect this. And, and to practice and is, at it. Is,
2: uh, um, a Podesta's advice... Oh, yeah. It's correct?
1: It's correct. you got to go bit by bit. You should actually toast the rice in the pan first, give it a certain nutty flavor. Some people like to use diced onions. If you're not a fan of onions, you don't have to. I recommend butter and also chicken stock, or if not, wine or both.
0: This is Shane's security strategy, right? He's saying everything he knows about risotto, so no one will hack his emails. That's right. There's no Just putting it out there. Don't no Don't waste secrecy. your time.
1: I'll tell you. Radical transparency. Open
0: book. Yeah. Probably. Please leave his email alone.
1: Please. No, seriously. Please leave my email alone. <laughs> please. <laughs> I've never done anything bad to you. Uh, wait till you see my Halloween costume this year, by the way. I'm just not going to say anything else. Is it going to be your object lesson? It's going to be an object can you, lesson.
2: Can, you record, can we record with you in costume? Sure. Oh,
0: All we right. should do a Halloween edition. We will.
1: We will. Okay. 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 Um, I'm what's, here with my friends. What's Quinta going to dress what? up as? I don't know. <clears throat> um, she's looking at us like, I don't want to dress up as <laughs> – you want to do it. Sure you do. Okay. Um, as long as the levels are good. Uh, I'm here with my friends, Ben Wittes and Susan Hennessy. Hi, guys. Hi, hey. Shane. Uh, we have a lot to get to on the podcast today. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton square off in their second presidential debate in St. Louis, and the intelligence community officially pins the blame on Russia for hacking U.S. political organizations. Plus, we're going to unpack a bunch of other hacking-related stuff uh, this week, too. Um, why don't we start with— uh, Wait, can
2: we just start with what we're not going to talk about? What are we, not gonna talk about? Cause we are not going to talk about? Because uh, we are not going to talk about any women whom Donald Trump may have groped. No. Um, you know, and that's not because it's not important. It's not because we are not as obsessed with this incredible story as everyone else <laughs> is. We're all like furtively following it uh, actively, but uh, it's just beyond the scope of this podcast. And, and also
0: because we've lost count and we only have an hour here so right.
1: yeah. <laughs> It's not just one. It's actually now four or five so, or six I we're think so we're six not thousands. we're not ignoring the story. we're just ignoring the story, okay right. right. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. be advised. We're aware, um. But for let let's uh, let's talk about the debate. Obviously, the debate was happening against the backdrop of this, uh, uh, the October surprise for Donald Trump. We might call surprise it surprises. <laughs> surprises. <laughs> they see they seem to keep coming, and I think we're the last shoe has not dropped. Um. But why don't we just sort of like let, let's let's talk about some of the national security highlights? It was not specifically devoted to national security. It was a town hall format. Um. But there were a number of uh of things that are of interest to our audience that came up. The first, and I have to say. What was, to me, probably the most jaw-dropping moment, not just of the debate, but maybe even one of the most stunning moments of the campaign so far, was when Trump promised that if he is elected, he is going to uh, direct his attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor to look into Hillary Clinton's email situation, uh, as he put it, and then later said, you should be in jail, or would be in jail, essentially, in a Trump administration. Um, that's not how this works. <laughs> In our system, uh, Susan, you're a lawyer. Would you like to start by talking about this?
0: I am a lawyer, although I will um I would refer people to a piece that um Ben uh, wrote uh, sort of in response to this um entitled to Grab them by the Constitution," which I thought was pretty good um so there's up. sort of there's there's sort of two uh, reactions to that moment. one is just kind of the um uh, the interaction itself, right, that sort of aggressive bullying, I mean, sort of really the, um, the opposite of presidential, um, right, just sort of a, a really jaw dropping moment and got in a in a very low election cycle, maybe the lowest moment, um, then there's sort of the the substantive, um, I'm going to use my power uh, to to jail political opponents. He's actually, since then, one comment he's made, um, kind of at rallies following up on that, is not only that he was going to appoint a, prosec- a special prosecutor to investigate Hillary Clinton, but he's also going to appoint a prosecutor to investigate the investigation, um, which I'm guessing is sort of a, a shot across the bow at, at Jim Comey um, and whether or not he... What conspired to uh, to cover up a crime? Um, this is uh, jaw dropping stuff. Um, it's also uh, something that Ben warned about what two months ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I generally refrain from writing "I told you so" pieces, but I I do think this one um, was something that the tone of the way he talked about political opponents. Uh, it was pretty easy to flag uh months ago that this was going to be a problem with Trump. And, uh, you know, I actually wrote a long piece about it. In response to that long piece, I started getting communications from people in the Justice Department, including one that, you know, o- overtly asked for an ethics opinion about whether it was proper to continue serving under Trump. Uh And I have been interested actually at how much of the anxiety on this score is from republicans um so you know after this this incident uh, at the debate i i tried to identify given that there's no law on this stuff you know you're actually sort of allowed to uh, i mean if you look at the raw constitutional powers of the president you actually can you know go after political opponents it's a yeah can
0: you direct i mean so obviously there's malicious malicious prosecution statutes is it is there any i can't sort of bring to mind a uh, legal prohibition on the president maliciously directing an investigation so so i think
2: I mean, I think you would, you would run into ultimately an impeachment question about whether you were violating the take care that the laws be faithfully executed question. But I, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, uh, the, but the protections against that are fundamentally normative and fun, and fundamentally political, not legal in character. And so, in the day after the debate i i sat down and i wrote out sort of what i thought the, fir- the the three big norms that trump had violated with this were and and by the way he's done it before um it, this is not a new um uh position on his part so i thought like um you know the the, the first norm that he's violating is that we don't use the criminal enforcement powers of the federal government to go after people, after the president's political opponents. Uh And that's, you know, he just openly violated that. And the second one, uh and he did it proudly. You know, there's always, in every administration, there's a, you know, do, uh, are they using the powers politically? But none of them say it.
0: He made it into a campaign ad exactly. the next day. He, he
2: has a a uh, campaign ad about it. So another one is that um you know the president doesn't direct the attorney general in specific law enforcement matters and that the you know we we limit the contacts between the white house and the fed- and federal law enforcement precisely as a sort of wall around the idea that justice is supposed to be uh independent and impartial. And then uh the third one is that you know As the president of the United States, you're really not supposed to presume people's guilt. Um, You're not supposed to say you're guilty and I'm going to lock you up. What you're supposed to say is a crime was committed and we're going to investigate who did it. And, you know, when the Justice Department indicts somebody, they always – and journalists, you know, they always – use the, journalists always use the word allegedly until somebody's actually convicted. And that's a respect for process and a respect for the fact that people are innocent until proven guilty. And Trump really, you know, stomped on that. So I published this piece and then, uh, within 12 hours or 15 hours of it, I get an email from Peter Keisler. Who is uh, you know a lawyer in town who used to run the civil division at the Justice Department and was briefly acting attorney general uh, after um, I think after after uh, uh, Alberto Gonzalez stepped down and um, and he's a you know very very well respected conservative lawyer in town and he pointed out a fourth norm that I had not thought of at all, which I'll just read what he said. Um, This wasn't an action by a sitting president, but a campaign promise to take such an action by a candidate. So on top of the fact that this would be a deeply improper action for any president to take, we also have the specter of someone running for office asking people to vote for him based on a promise to investigate and jail a particular person, Having a national referendum over, in part, whether somebody should be prosecuted. One can debate whether it's better or worse to have prosecutorial decisions corrupted by the White House or by being subject to a popular vote. But worst of all is to have both. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think it's pretty hard to overstate the magnitude of the violations of our expectations of the presidency. Uh, and of the normal course of the justice system that this involves. And I will add that Susan is absolutely correct, that since in the period since I wrote these pieces, uh, he has taken it to a different level by uh, essentially impugning the integrity of all the FBI people who worked on the original investigation, including but not limited to the FBI director. And, you know, He's describing a corrupt system without any evidence of corruption of the system. And there's something, you know, deeply corrosive about
1: Well and that's that. gonna be that's a preview too of I think what's gonna happen in the general election is it's it's the system was rigged, the establishment was out to get me, they're all in favor of Hillary Clinton, for which there will be no evidence and that will not stop him at all. This is this is how he behaves.
0: Right. I mean honestly it's um I I've had sort of occasion to, to reread Learned Hands the Spirit of Liberty speech um, sort of it's in relation spirit to I hear of not being too certain that one is right. Exactly. Um, uh, actually sort of related in, in the intelligence community uh, context. Um, you know, it's uh, uh like a refrain that sort of resonates you know the um uh the spirit of liberty lies in in the hearts of men and women um you know no if if it dies there no court no constitution can defend it no court no constitution can be of much help i'm probably butchering the the precise quote um but that is uh in some ways we're seeing just the the most um incredible manifestation and bizarre perversion of that um in the sense that uh uh Donald Trump by making these statements uh, clearly does not hold these values within him he does not believe in in our constitution he does not believe in these principles and um and that's a really scary thing, because ultimately, that is the protection. Um, and then at the same time, he's sort of he's twisting that um, by kind of right, this is his his projection is counter by saying, no, 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 it's all of you who are violating this, right. And so it's, um, it's a, a perilous time. Um, it's, it's really st- some disturbing stuff.
1: Let's talk some more about some of the particular policy things that came up. He was pressed by the moderators on the the Muslim ban. Uh, they read back his statement to him about uh, Donald J. Trump is calling for a ban on all Muslims till we know what the hell is going on. Now he's changed it, of course, to extreme vetting. Which is a good name for a ban. Very good name for a ban. That's right. Um, let's talk a bit about this. I mean, is there... I mean, what, what is the practical difference, you know, in terms of extreme vetting versus a ban? And, and also... They were both asked, both Clinton and Trump, by a a Muslim American woman. You know, essentially, not explain yourselves, but I mean, more or less, like, you know, how am I supposed to receive what I'm hearing uh, from both of you? And then they both talked about needing Muslim Americans to sort of be the eyes and the ears and the front lines, as Hillary Clinton put it. But Trump also had this extreme vetting component to it that seemed to immediately suspect all Muslims or at least, uh, you know, as, as potential threats, including maybe even the ones who are already here, who he would also seemingly like to enlist in some kind of neighborhood watch.
0: So I actually thought, I mean, uh, Donald Trump's response was certainly true to form in the sense that this was really sort of a powerful moment of um, a Muslim American woman kind of looking at this man who said these terrible things and saying, you know, what do you say to me? Um, And and he said, uh, you know, basically. Muslims are, are scary, right? We're, we're right to be afraid. Um, I, I thought Hillary Clinton had a real missed opportunity here and, um, and, uh, there was a, a misstep that I think would have been more significant but for the sort of remarkable, uh, events of the past week in terms of, um, uh, the news cycle. Uh, and that's that she sort of, um, uh, endorsed this position that the primary reason um, to sort of extend civil liberties to Muslims or to have sort of uh, you know a um, uh, to prevent Islamophobia from sort of taking root um, is so that Muslims will be law enforcement partners. Um, you know this is this kind of weird reductive thing happens a lot and it's sort of it's um, it's even offered by people who I think are um, are well intentioned and, and really are trying to sort of make the case right um, You know that this is why the NYPD um, Muslim surveillance was counterproductive right because it's alienating a community and really what you need is for those people to be looking. Um, this like right this is sort of saying like your primary value to us is spotters because your own community produces these people of course. Every community of every description in the United States produces violent criminals. And those communities are, are always the front line, like, right? So, um, you know, uh, white supremacists, right? Or, or, uh, uh, sort of, um, <laughs> very extreme, um, uh, uh, pro-life groups that are, uh, you know, advocating violence. Um, just, uh, you know, name the community, name the identity. Um, uh, that community is, um, capable of producing individuals that commit acts of violence, and that community is the, the primary sort of resource. And so I, I do wish that Hillary Clinton had, um, had taken a moment to sort of, uh, uh, acknowledge this woman's genuine question, and not just say, "Well, we need to be nice to Muslims because we need you to tattle on people on the bad Muslims because there's the bad Muslims." And oh, by the way, we need to play nice with Muslim majority countries. But, like, Islamophobia is wrong and and it's sort of contrary to who we are. So
2: let me ask you, Zinziyus, and so I, I had very much the same reaction, and I, I think the the right answer to her question, which Hillary Clinton did not say is, uh, you know, the question was really, what do you say to me as somebody who, you know, is negatively impacted by, by this presentation? of And the, the right answer is we live in a society with religious freedom and where we evaluate individuals as individuals, uh, full stop. Um, and the question is, did she not go there because she doesn't have to She's going to get nearly a hundred percent of the Muslim vote anyway. And so she might as well, uh, she might as well talk about the issue that a lot of non-Muslims will think about when they, when they hear that question. Uh, and therefore at the risk of describing the Muslim community in a little bit of an instrumental fashion. Or is the reason that that's just kind of, what she actually thinks the answer is. How, how strategic do you think this was?
1: I think that I actually think it's a little bit of both. I mean, on the one hand, she's clearly has to be somewhat sensitive to being accused of not calling it radical Islam and seeming weak on terrorism. Uh, and so maybe she wanted to use the sort of the front lines metaphor to bolster her credentials that way and say, look, I'm tough. But I imagine that she does feel pretty strongly that she wants. Muslim Americans to be, you know, informant mean, might be too strong of a word, but this is consistently the line you hear coming out of the FBI and the Justice Department is, you know, we need people to sort of alert us to these things that are happening in their community. And it's a, in a way, it's a way of saying there is an onus on you all as a quote unquote Community to take some responsibility for this.
2: I I mean, I sort of agree with that. I just think it's the secondary or tertiary answer to the question, and the primary answer to the question is: We live in a liberal society.
1: Would have been nice if she led with that. Exactly. I I
2: have no problem with saying I want everybody to cooperate with law enforcement and communities from which you know certain bad stuff generates. You know, may have particular uh, uh, value or obligations to, to you know to help, but. There, there was a missed, Susan. I mean, I really agree with Susan. There was this missed moment where the, the answer to, to that woman's question is, you're a part of this community. That's the end of it.
0: Right. So I think, um, you know, sort of the, uh, the instinct or, or sort of the, the strategic thing is that sort of there's, there's um, uh, one of kind of the campaign themes that has emerged is this notion um, that they're really actually central to, to national security or, or domestic um, homeland security issues, which is that um, we have to, this sort of liberal denialism, right? This idea that this, you know, peace and love beatnik stuff is blinding us to, to really having sort of effective policy. We know something is going on. And so um, I, I think it's... Uh, My gut is that the the strategy is to um, not want to feed into that cycle of feeling like, oh, you know, liberals are sort of blinding themselves to this. Um, uh, I think at this point, though, because she is um, the presumptive president of the United States, um, uh, this was an opportunity actually for her to lead. Right. So not just to win, uh, you know, some votes or reassure people, but but to be confident enough to say, um, you know, I'm going to move us in a better direction, a more thoughtful direction, a safer direction.
1: Okay. Uh, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, big news last week. It's official. Officially, Russia hacked U.S. political. It resources. wasn't the four hundred pound guy. Definitely on the bed. not. Definitely not somewhere. I just want to
0: point out that I called for public attribution against Russia and like— Before it was cool. And like nine weeks later, the Obama administration, (laughs) uh, you know, answered. And that is influential results, guys. Yeah, I
2: I mean, Brookings' slogan is quality, independence, and impact— and I want to say that that is an ex- clearly an example exactly. of impact.
0: I mean, it's just there's a straight line um, from Susan Hennessey Lawfare. What do you know about the DNC hacks? The title of my piece. And then, you know, you know, two and a half months later, uh, Obama's saying what we know is Russians be hacking. Be
1: hacking. Um, let me just – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this section from the statement because I think there's something – there's actually a few things to unpack in here because I think that – The the statement is more significant than it might seem just as a statement of, yes, we're blaming it on the Russians. Um, The U.S. intelligence community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions, including U.S. political organizations. The recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails on sites like dcleaks.com and WikiLeaks and by the Guccifer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motivations Of Russia-directed efforts. These thefts and closures are intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. Not often that you hear in a joint statement by intelligence and security officials, um, motivation is X. That's usually something that's pretty hard uh, to judge. So in addition to being a fairly declarative statement, yes, the Russians did this. um, Very closely positioning WikiLeaks over to uh, being involved in this, but Maybe they're just a receptacle, um but also saying that the motivation was plainly to interfere with the uh, with the election process. Um, this is a pretty significant statement as I read it.
0: I think it's an incredibly significant statement. Um I think it's significant that it's sort of a, that it's a joint statement from both the intelligence community and uh homeland security. Um a lot of people don't realize uh so obviously homeland security is involved because of uh, election uh interference. Um there's also uh sort of separate and apart from kind of DHS's and PPD cyber teams. Um uh homeland security houses a lot of um very very consequential and effective um investigative bodies. Um so the US Secret Service, uh you know, different parts of um Immigration, uh, you know, and customs—they um, all have uh, uh, significant roles in um, the investigation of uh, of cyber-enabled crimes. Um, so I think that I think that this is sort of um, this really is an all-in, right? This is kind of everybody who's really responsible for cyber in in the government um, saying we think it's the Russians. Um, the sort of the attribution um aspect is uh, is interesting right they're they're being incredibly specific not only about what they know but about what they don't know um and and being willing to speculate on motivation i i really do think is um that's a that's a real warning shot to the russians um because it's really hard to know right um to sort of glean why somebody might have done something there are of course um, multiple reasons that people do things uh you know there there's opportunistic stuff uh there's mixed motivations right so i think that is sort of a, like a a little bit of a signaling of um potentially um we're listening to you we we know the conversations where we are confident enough to bring this to the public um so i think that's it's a little bit of a warning um i actually think the reason for this statement and sort of the the russian attribution part is a small paragraph at the beginning and then all the rest is about the um sort of electoral uh uh hacking of, of election systems and sort of the integrity of the election
1: which they tie to a russian company not the russian government but
0: Right. I actually think that's the more significant thing. I think that's why the statement was issued.
1: Uh, It's sort of like a take this seriously, people in the States, and prepping the groundwork for, you know— yeah, there is interference going on with the like elect- providing evidence of some kind, maybe.
0: Right. So, so essentially, I, um, I think the administration has known for months that the Russian government was behind the DNC uh, hacks. Right. The, the intelligence community came out and said they had high confidence, you know, as early as July. Um, so the notion that like, oh, some new piece of of attribution information has come out where now they're really sure about the Russians. I, I think that they knew they had pretty much everything they needed to know very early on. Um, the difference is the decision. To make a public statement, right? They sort of seemed content to kind of, eh, maybe you have a street, maybe it was a directed or strategic leak, but they they didn't really. The, um, despite calls from Congress, Diane Feinstein, Adam Schiff, um, you know, and sort of public calls for them to um, for the administration to really say what they knew, um, the, you know, Obama had had really indicated he wasn't going to get involved here. Uh, What changes is all of a sudden there's all this speculation about whether or not election systems are safe, right? Whenever we elect, you know, the president, are people going to believe that result? Honestly, I think the proliferation of those stories, and there was starting to be a little bit of an avalanche, right? So you had uh, sort of initial reports of two uh, Arizona and I think uh, Illinois is the other Illinois one. Illinois and
1: Arizona were the first two.
0: Then all of a sudden it's a dozen, then it's more than 20, right? This thing was starting to snowball in, and there was no And variations
1: of probing and actual access.
0: Right, but there wasn't, it was getting very confused yeah, about very, what was very. happening. And I think paired with the campaign rhetoric of this is a rigged election, I think that the administration decided to take its case public because they wanted they want people to walk to on November 8th feel like they know who was actually elected President of the United States. So I think there
2: are a couple other factors. I agree with all that, but I think there are a couple other factors as well. One is that if you look at John Carlin's recent speeches, he's made clear that public attribution is something they're going to do when they can. And that, you know, the that that one of the significant features of the, and he talked about this on the lawfare podcast, actually, um, you know, that one of the significant features of the Chinese indictments was simply that they were able to say publicly, who the individuals were, what computers they were using, and to attribute at that level of specificity publicly. And, you know, he's made clear that as a general matter, they want to be as public as they can about naming and shaming and indictments when they can do indictments. So that's one factor. I think in this case, the other aggravating factor is the ongoing activity of WikiLeaks and the frankly weird relationship between WikiLeaks and the Republican nominee for president, who is now openly endorsing WikiLeaks, talking, you know, he shouted, I love WikiLeaks at, 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 in, at his Wilkes-Barre, uh, Barry, um, uh, rally the other day. And there's a huge New York Times story on the front page this morning about the relationship between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks. And so I think when, when you're, uh, you know and a, and a, and a, and Roger Stone, the Trump advisor, boasted yesterday, I believe that uh he had met with the WikiLeaks people in the run up to this latest round of disclosure before too and yeah. so when you put together the belief of the intelligence community um uh, that you're dealing with a state actor, you know the Russian state actor um and you're dealing as well with a, um, with a non-state actor, i.e. WikiLeaks, that the only debate in the intelligence community, as a certain Shane Harris reported this week in the Daily Beast, the only real debate in the intelligence community is whether WikiLeaks are useful idiots on behalf of Russian intelligence or active agents on the part of Russian intelligence. So you have the state actor that did the hack. The non-state actor that are understood as either, as either intentional or unintentional fronts for the state actor. And then you have the U.S. national political candidate of a major party who is actively embracing and uh, slipstreaming behind the activity of that non-state actor. That is a very weird constellation of factors that militates very strongly, I think, for being clear about who these actors are, and that when Trump gets in bed with these people, he's getting in bed with Russian intelligence.
0: Right. So actually, I've been I've been thinking a lot about sort of the the WikiLeaks connection, not just obviously because of the news cycle, but also based on um, a tweet that um, the Grug Q, um, which yeah. is a great. Yeah. How do you Twitter pronounce tweet? him? I don't know.
1: Is, the is Grug? it Grug? Um, Sky, I always think Gruck when I see it. Okay, he's he's very.
2: Um, I, I want <clears throat> to say I love his uh, his Twitter picture. Yeah, it's a beautiful image. Uh, he's great. a yeah. good-looking if, guy yeah. if that's him. I, if that's I,
0: him. Terrible operational security if he decided to use his real picture. But
2: yeah. it's a really good Twitter feed and you should all follow it.
0: Yes. Um and and he has really interesting observations and he sort of um uh, he mentioned uh, uh, you know the, the notion of actually um a really important part of cyber enabled information warfare is having a credible distribution platform. Um, that if you don't have a way to credibly sort of put information into the public Um, it's really hard to achieve these kinds of operations and, and, uh, you know, that really, um, WikiLeaks has, uh, served this really, really interesting role actually. Um, and I do think it's sort of, um, I think you're right that like, that this, um, the relationship between WikiLeaks and the Russians is incredibly important um, because it should be the lens through which we view every piece of information that is emerging, right? So so one, um, there's clear evidence that there's forgeries among the Podesta email drop, right? Sort of, I mean, amateurish stuff of uh, just clearly fake emails that were inserted. Um, two, and, and I'll sort of kick this over to Shane as, as kind of a, a broader question of uh, national security reporting in the age of... Of mass leaks and that's okay um, if we uh, you know if reasonable people understand the relationship between WikiLeaks and Russian intelligence and at least some real information is included and it's obviously being leaked for a reason but that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong and there's certainly newsworthy information how should you be thinking about covering that material
1: well this question actually I think, was also put forward pretty forcefully by the Clinton campaign spokesperson Brian Fallon, who said, "You know, to journalists who are writing about this stuff, why don't you also remind people that this is private stolen information that was provided, you know, by the Russian government to WikiLeaks?" Um, what, 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 well, to your first point question, I mean, how do we think about covering? I mean, I, I worry less, in a way, about sort of the the provenance of the information because information comes to us as journalists from all kinds of. Halves and it's, you know, frequently stolen information and we're the recipients of that. I, I, what, what troubles me in this case is being able to tell what is real and what is not. Um, and, and, and are we in the – Is cor- the risotto recipe real? God, I hope so it seems like a really good recipe.
2: if I were Russian intelligence, forging John Podesta's risotto recipe – would like, be
0: <laughs> like, like one cup parmesan, one tablespoon spoon plutonium. So. How, How many Democrats terrible. you
2: could kill by if you just got mm-hmm. I'm just saying that and you'd be
1: your hands would be on none of it.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Democrats
1: love risotto, mm-hmm. um, but no, I, I worry about. I, I, I in, the, in, the, in the first instance, I worry about is what I'm at reporting on actually real information, or am I being set up to write something that that's misleading or or just false? <clears throat> um, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm being not not giving enough consideration to the Providence issue. But for me, it's like, look, it's out there, and we can report on it responsibly. That's the key thing. But I mean, are you asking, like, do you think we should refrain from reporting on it because... They were hacked emails
0: so this was actually my point um, sort of in the in um, whenever I, I wrote about this originally right and sort of the need for attribution and and I think one of the most important reasons why the US government should go on record early um, is to give the the press um, a, cr- uh, a sort of a reference point for giving really credible context mm-hmm. um, and I actually think that this is and sort of the, the WikiLeaks DC leaks thing is a pretty good example of that there was a lot of early speculation about Russian involvement um, as sort of uh, more information came to the public about what the intelligence community believed. And the press was really presenting this information as, you know, Russians had have, have hacked this information and this is what it says. And it was highly contextualized. As the administration uh, failed to say anything um, and as sort of time passed uh, and more and more information kept coming out, that context started to go away, right, that there was um, uh not every single article referenced the potential providence and I think that that's dangerous I think that it that it really is important that if you're going to report on this stuff um to situate it in in the appropriate context
1: Oh yeah no for sure like saying this was dropped in the midst of a series of hacks that the intelligence community believes are being done for political manipulation yeah that's fair
2: so I actually I think the issue is a little bit more complicated than that so I would never argue that there is an exclusionary rule that we should not consider information that was obtained by illicit means um,
1: we wouldn't have much to report on
2: yeah I mean most a lot of stuff is stolen a lot of stuff that's leaked is actually formally stolen the Trump tax returns were certainly presumptively not given by somebody who was entitled to unless it was in fact Marla Maples right i'm um, totally on un- un- totally but you can't the point is you can't assume <laughs> but that 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 it was proper for somebody to to give that on the other hand i do think when you know that there is a foreign intelligence operation ongoing to interfere with your country's electoral system And what your role that they've imagined in that electoral, in, in that operation is as a journalist, you're, they're going to dump this stuff and you're going to write about it. It does seem to me that there is a, a little bit of a burden to think about what, what Role you want to play in Russian intelligence's efforts to affect the U.S. electoral system. And that is a different question. I think you should always ask yourself that question. What is, how is my source trying to manipulate me? What am I? But, but, but I do think that's a different question than you know what is edward snowden trying to do here or what is the individual who i don't even know who sent this tax return to the new york times trying to do i i do think in the presence of a you know public attribution or a non-public even a non-public attribution that there's a foreign actor you know, engaged in a systematic effort to corrupt the electoral system, you do as a reporter have to sit there and, and spend at least a little bit of time saying, what role do I or don't yeah. I want to right.
0: play? And, and one notable uh, sort of uh, point on the Podesta emails is that they were dropped 30 minutes after the initial report of the, um, the Access Hollywood video of Trump making, you know, obscene comments about sexual assault. Which actually um, was
1: strategically pretty dumb. I think.
2: Yeah, because it caused them to get no, ta- no coverage. Right,
0: But I, I think it's – do you think it's unfair to, to presume it was reactionary? You think it, you think it was coincidental? Oh, I thought or you, you were you saying
1: it was, was – I thought you were implying it was reactionary.
0: Oh, no, I'm saying – I I think it is reactionary. Yeah, You're I'm just saying, saying it's, it's I, strategically bad. If it
1: is reactionary, it was strategically not wise timing.
0: Yeah, I agree, although I don't um, – again, this is also why I um, – <clears throat> I have some sort of suspicions about uh what the Russians are really doing here. Um Look, I'm not
1: sure the Russians even know
0: what the Russians this are is, doing. This is what I think. One, um, I, I think they, they got lucky, right? This idea that to sort of targeted thing, you, you push up against lots of things. You get lucky. Things pay off. Mm-hmm. You know, chaos maybe, muppets. Right, they're total chaos muppets. The other thing is like the idea that, that anybody could actually predict what is going to sort of take hold of the news cycle, what's useful, how sort of the, this complex American body politic is going to react. I, I think the Russians love the idea. They love the narrative that sort of oh they're the puppet masters of the world and they can you know shift the U.S. elections. I don't think anybody could could actually strategically deploy this stuff, um, let alone sort of. I just don't think their intelligence about the United States is really that sophisticated.
1: Well, I think well to that point, I think that's 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 actually. Um... I was actually talking with my friend Julia Yaffe recently about this, who's a terrific Russia reporter, and was making the point that it's really only seems like in recent years that Russia has gotten even marginally more sophisticated about understanding our political system, and that really it is like Vladimir Putin views it like house of cards – that he sees it in this very sort of, you know, Machiavellian dramatic kind of context and doesn't get how really diffused our system is and how how complicated yeah, and dysfunctional
0: he, he
2: he he thinks that everything in our system is as Machiavellian as he is. Right, exactly. I mean, he, he he's, had, projecting. he's projecting his own behavior and and working assumptions about Russia onto onto the American political system.
1: But we got a great example this week too <clears throat> of how this can all backfire. So, Donald Trump, I think it was in the in the Wilkes Barre, Pennsylvania rally, <clears throat> um, says, uh, "Let me read you something that just came out of these emails from WikiLeaks." John Podesta, or no, sorry, uh, uh, Sidney Blumenthal, and of course, everyone goes, "Boo!" Never mind. It, like ninety percent of the audience couldn't tell you who Sidney Blumenthal actually was. He's just bad, and he's with Hillary Clinton. Um, starts reading off this, you know, list uh, uh, of, of indictments about Hillary and Benghazi, and saying this came out. Uh, uh, from the, the Podesta email leaks, and that Sidney Blumenthal writes that if Republicans want to use um, Hillary Clinton's, I'm paraphrasing, uh, negligence over security and Benghazi as a talking point to go after her, that is legitimate. Well, what he failed to realize is that this information actually wasn't from Sidney Blumenthal. It was from a long 10,000-word Newsweek magazine piece By Kurt Eichenwald, and he was quoting from one small section in it, and it was an email that Blumenthal had sent around to people in the campaign, quoting liberally from the article. This email then got picked up by Sputnik News, which is a Russian propaganda outfit reported as Sidney Blumenthal said all these things. Donald Trump then reads it as Sidney Blumenthal said all these things, raising the question of whether this Active measures campaign by the Russians, which is meant to sow disinformation, actually did and then got picked up by Sputnik and then somehow fed to Donald Trump via his campaign aides, who then repeated this thing that is actually not true and now has been outed as such. I mean,
2: it raises the question that I, you know, raised again, which, but before, which is, you know, how should we think about the soup? That is the combination of Ru- Russian intelligence, uh, the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks. And, you know, who, who's driving what train here? And this incident, which Kurt Eichenwald and people should read the article. It's really stunning. Uh, this incident shows, I think, pretty vividly that The Trump campaign is not distinguishing between material on WikiLeaks and the, and Russian front spin on that stuff. And they're just gobbling it all up. And it, it really does raise the question, what is the relationship between the Trump campaign and the Russian intelligence apparatus?
0: So I think this is a great example of the useful idiot. Um, I think that Trump has a, um inept amateur staff. Um, I think that they uh, uh, follow all of these various news outlets frankly because they are lazy. Um, there's lots of talking points that pop up. Um, they've found these sort of Twitter troll armies to be uh, effective. Um, they have a media wing that is not being critical, right? So sort of the the Breitbart, if we're going to call that media, um, that, are, that is happy to sort of pick this stuff up. And um, so, whereas um, uh, sort of the, the real shift is that, that uh, opponents in the United, you know, US political opponents in the past. Um, uh, would not have just taken up, a, a Russian talking point, even if it was helpful, right? Because they would, one, they would have been smart enough to know it would backfire. And two, because that's, right? They have their own concerns about Russia. They don't want to get played. Um, they, they want, they don't want Russians, uh, to be influencing the United States. Uh, here, I think what you really see is this kind of, um, uh, when you have this warming, when you have this, uh, willingness to consume the material, uh, you know, on top of, of frankly, amateurs in the field, uh, you end up with a presidential nominee that is a, a mouthpiece sort of directly passing on, uh, you know, Russian propaganda to the, to the U.S. people. Uh, it's really scary in an election. The idea of the president of the United States doing that is uh, catastrophic.
2: Yeah. I, I, I tend to. Agree with you that we're we're dealing in useful idiot department, not in active agent, although you know where the Paul Manaforts of the world uh, fall into that may be complicated but um i that said, I think the idea of the President of the United States as a useful idiot is not an, is really unattractive.
1: Yeah. All right, let's move on to object lessons. Um, Susan, you want to go first?
0: Sure. I have a brief object lesson. It's a field trip oh. um, that Ben and I took recently to replace our driver's licenses. Ooh, um, did you
1: get the new real ID?
0: We did. Right. So I lost my driver's license. Ben, I think yours just had expired. My,
2: my driver's license did yeoman service, but now eight years later, it needed to be replaced.
0: Um, so we decided to take a lawfare field trip to, um, to go to the DMV, um, to replace our licenses. Um, and, uh, as we walking, in, we were walking in, Ben cursed me by saying, I wonder which one of us will not have the right documents and have to leave. Um, cause, cause I was following
2: a long held rule of DMV attendance, which is that you never go to the DMV and deal with your issue and then leave. You go to the DMV and there's some deficiency and then you have to leave and come back.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, the weak link in our, uh, in our, uh, Expedition was sadly me. Um, I would have put good money on it being Ben, but it, it ended up being me. Um, and so this is right. So the real idea is like the new statutory, uh, it's a new statute, basically that your ID your identification, your identity has to be verified uh, again, right? So in the past, you could just reorder a placement license online. Now you have to go and provide all this documentation. So I'm giving them this do- the, all the documents, right? So I give my birth certificate and my passport and my social security card. And then I produce um, tax documents, right? That have my name and and, and uh, you know the, I have to pr- prove where I live. I prove prove my address. Um so I have a tax document, you know, in our um, uh, you know has both my mine and my husband's name on it with the uh, uh, address. Um, you know, we share the same last name. Um, then I produce uh, uh, gas bills, right? Uh, you know, uh, electric bills that you have to you have to have two separate pieces of, of uh, proof of residency.
1: I didn't have to prove this much to get my mortgage.
0: I I this was literally less onerous. The real the ID Act,
1: man, feels so, scrubbed.
0: So I um I offered this uh this electric bill um or gas bill or whatever it was um but uh, apparently it's in the 1950s because it has my husband's name on it um frankly because. I don't like dealing with that stuff, and he's a more organized human being. Um, so no, 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 that's not going to work. Um, so I show these people not only that I have, I have tax documents with, with my name and address, I also have my marriage license proving that I am married to the person. We have the same last name, and we share tax documentations that show that we own the, the property in question. No not acceptable that that is not sufficient to meet the real id standards it's you know it's it's not going to be safe so i'm looking at this man and i'm sort of having that moment where i'm like like do i have a sit-in right now do i just look at this man and say like i'm not leaving until you give me a driver's license um when he tells me that i can either um have my husband verify uh uh my residency by signing a form which i'm sorry Hell no, um, on principle I'm not doing. Um, or I could have I could email him a document, um, something something with with my name on it. Um, so I stand there I have my cell phone and I call my husband. and I say, do you do you have our mortgage stuff anywhere on your in your email? So he he pulls up a mortgage statement, and he emails it to this gentleman at the DMV. This person at the DMV doesn't know him from Adam, right? It's a random email address that has a PDF attachment that purports to be a mortgage statement with my name on it, right? Could have come from anywhere. Excellent. Prints it out, accepts it, no problem. (laughs) So I lamented afterwards that while I understand the objectives of the real ID, what meaningful security or or identity verification aim Came from the sort of insane bureaucratic rules that will not allow the electric bill, but will allow just some dude sending an email. Wow.
2: So here's the big question. When Susan Hennessy presents you her real ID in the future, should you assume that this is a terrorist plot, uh, by and that this is not really Susan? Or should you assume. That it's – the real ID is real good
1: enough ID. Plot. Totally
0: nonsense. Is it security theater? I don't even know what it is. That's amazing.
1: Also, you're giving me like 15 reasons (sighs) to put off this, doing this as long as possible.
2: Just read the instructions about what documents you have to bring carefully. For I me, will the also process note, was pretty painless.
0: I will also note that when I lost my driver's license, it was while I was traveling, and I learned at Logan Airport that in a pinch, you can use a prescription bottle and uh, a clip from PBS Newshour with your name on what? it to get through TSA security. <laughs> at so Logan. at Logan Airport, for so those for those for those, of you who,
2: for those oh of you God. who do not have a clip of yourself on the PBS Newshour. Go with the pill bottle. You
1: totally just want to drop that. Yeah, yeah. Ben, what's your object lesson?
2: So, for the last few weeks, uh, since, to be precise, um, uh, early September, September 3rd, I have been engaged in an experiment, uh, which is to see whether I can do uh, as good an electoral forecast as the 538 folks with uh you know less than 1% of the effort and um you know the, the there's a semi serious point actually a, a, a genuinely serious point here which is that uh you know I, I follow the 538 site pretty religiously I listen to their their podcast I think very highly of them uh and I think there's a bunch of really good analysts there but I also think that they uh have this thing which they call their model which they talk about with almost reverential um, uh, uh, respect. Uh, And by all accounts, the model is a very complicated piece of, of computer software with many thousands of lines of code and a huge amount of data input into it. And so my question is, could you replicate the essential functionality of that model with a tiny, tiny fraction of the effort? And so what I did is I built a, a a very simple spreadsheet. Um it's it's a it's a well it's uh a two two pages of spreadsheet. One one which is a polls only model like the 538 one that doesn't involve any interpretive uh device on my part at all. And the other, which involves uh, a little bit of my own instincts. Uh, and I tried to create a, a very simple model, actually based on the way my mom, who's a mathematical statistician, had told me many years ago how to estimate the number of people who were coming to my wedding. Uh, and um, for the last uh, month and a half, I've been, you know, updating this thing every day, every other day. And the amazing thing is it has tracked the 538 model incredibly precisely though it has no data in common with the 538 model.
0: This is Ben's way of saying he thinks that 538 is 83.67% full of shit. Well, so I no no, I think I they would are,
1: like to challenge him to a taekwondo match. No,
0: no, no,
2: no, no, no. I this is not a challenge to 538. I respect I have a lot of respect for 538. Um but the question is what's the marginal value of all this extra work they're doing? And I think uh, this uh, I mean, we will see who is closer to uh, the actual electoral count vote on Election Day. My guess is uh, so far, our models have been so similar in their output that it'll actually be hard, may actually be hard to tell who's outperformed whom. But but the question that 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 it raises to me really is um, is. Are these electoral forecast people, including the New York Times, which has one, you know, uh, um, on their front page every day, uh, including the Princeton people, you know, are they over-investing in um, and, you know, creating these very data-heavy, um, uh, very code-heavy models that are actually not adding a huge amount of value to what you can do with uh, a good head on your shoulders um, uh, an Excel spreadsheet and a um, and you know reading the polls every day and so I you know we'll I'll link to it on on the show page uh, today and um, people should look at my the uh, we, it contains a methodological statement uh, and it unlike the 538 uh forecast it is entirely public there is no secret data there's no uh, it's completely transparent and so i'm interested in people's reactions uh you can tweet them at the show you can tweet them at me um what is what is uh, you know does this give you what 538 is giving without a whole lot of uh you know uh faux precision and um and pretense at 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 scientific and mathematical rigor.
1: Nate Silver is going to come for you. I'm eighty four percent certain. people I,
0: I, love whenever you say I could do your job with like two percent. I mean, to to
1: to me, might be
2: true. Might to, 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 be, he to, to be fair to Nate Silver. The, the, the 538 model does do things that this model doesn't do, like give a percent chance that Hillary Clinton and, or Donald Trump is going to win. I don't do that. All I'm trying to do is predict the electoral vote outcome. Right. Um, but, We're find but out. I would love to have a discussion with them on their podcast or invite them on rational security. Not that it's, it's sort of beyond the scope of this podcast, but I'd love to go chat with them about it and to sort of to figure out how their model, in fact, Differs from this, and whether this is just a really very simple um uh example of what in fact they have made very complicated
1: to be continued
0: a pull off meet me in the poll prediction me in- off meet me in
1: the playground at noon
0: no, I'm not, I don't think you should say like, that who who
2: is as a I'm not and challenging I know I know. them to a fight i'm not i'm not, I'm just saying. What's the marginal value of all this work they're doing?
0: We're a warrior culture at Rational Security. <laughs> and if it's not challenging someone to a fight, I, I, can't, I can't stand Ain't for interested it. I interested
1: unless somebody bleeds.
2: I, I, I think Susan is challenging Harry Enton to a fight right now.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. Come okay. on. Look at these guns. I can do it
1: for sure. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Rational Security is a production of Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find our show archive at spaghettionthewallproductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at r a t l security. And when you download the podcast from Stitcher or iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, please remember to leave a rating and review. That helps us out a lot, and we really appreciate it. Our audio engineer is Quinta Jurassic. The show producer and editor is Jen Howell. Our music was performed this week by Donald Trump and Extreme Vetting.
2: Excellent. And that makes you happy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, you're Cause smiling. Because Extreme Vetting, somebody's got to use it as a <laughs> band
1: name. Sophia Yan, who actually performs our music, would totally be like the lead singer in a metal band called Extreme Vetting. Can't you see that? Yeah. And okay. they have like really just like sick keyboards.
2: But but that particular <laughs> p- particularly Hitars. back when she had her nose ring.
1: Yeah, she could totally pull that off. Yeah. yeah. Be awesome. All right. On behalf of my friends, Ben Wittis and Susan Hennessy, I'm Shane Harris, and we're going to talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.